It is Tuesday the 14th of July. Hello, Tom Tilly with you for The Briefing, joined by Annika Smethurst. Good morning, Annika. Morning, Tom. We're talking face masks today. Yeah, look, there's been a lot of confusion about when you should wear them and if they're safe and if they help anybody at all. So we're going to try and settle that science once and for all and let you know if you should be wearing a face mask in public. All right, before we get to that, let's get into all the other big stories of the day. Revelations that Victoria's hotel quarantine scandal could have been avoided. Yeah, in the nine newspapers today, there's a report that a senior bureaucrat sent an email demanding police and not security guards watch over travellers just 24 hours after the program started in March. Yesterday, Victoria's Chief Health Officer, Brett Sutton, said it was conceivable that the bungle could have caused the city's second wave. He also welcomed news of 177 new cases, the lowest in four days. It's great that it's lower than our peak, but it may not be our peak yet. So I would like to see a week of decreasing numbers before I come and say that I've got greater comfort about the direction we're going in. At that press conference, we also heard from Premier Daniel Andrews, who was pretty furious after police handed out close to $220,000 worth of fines for people breaching coronavirus rules in just one day. Victoria Police, they're not mucking about. The time for warnings is over. If you are out there breaking the rules and you're you're betting that you won't get caught, the odds are not good. You will get caught and you will be fined. Yeah, and some people have been fined $4,000 each. That was for that group of six that tried to cross into Queensland after leaving Victoria. Can you imagine what that party could have done with $24,000? They could have had a pretty epic holiday. But look, those cases aren't quite coming down. If you look at how many cases were actually tested versus the number of cases mm. that's popped up, it's still about the same rate. So it's no sort of cause for celebration yet. And there'll be tighter restrictions for New South Wales pubs after an overnight crisis meeting. We're expecting an official announcement from Premier Gladys Berejiklian as early as today. Bookings at pubs will be reduced from 20 to 10 people, while the number of people allowed in all venues will be capped at 300. Which, if you're listening in Victoria, probably sounds like a huge number <laughs> still. Um, 21 cases are now linked to the Crossroads Hotel cluster in Sydney's southwest. While the Star City Casino is the second venue to be fined for overcrowding after a patron tested positive there, here's the Police Minister, David Elliott. Some of the practices that we've seen are occurring because people are going to these licensed venues thinking that it's business as usual. If we have to close hotels and clubs again, the patrons uh, will have to take some of the ownership of that. Yeah, and investigations are still going on, Annika, into how that cluster at the Crossroads Hotel in southwest Sydney started with authorities saying that patient zero might have come from Victoria. And the charity Anglicare is warning that a cut to job seeker benefits could create another national crisis. It's done a survey of what life was like before the dole was doubled. It was very difficult for them to manage on these low incomes. So if a large bill or just a bill came in, whether that be a car insurance or um, an electricity bill or heaven forbid something like a funeral, that would just knock people over. That was Executive Director Casey Chambers. The charity wants the payment doubled for good. 46% or nearly half of those on the $1,100 a fortnight benefit need help affording essentials like food and medicine. So the government will make an announcement on this week. We, we expect to hear from Treasurer Josh Frydenberg on what's going to happen, not just with the job keeper payment, but also with the job seeker payment, which is the former new start or dole payment. So what are your sources telling you, Annika? What do you think is going to happen with job seeker? Look, there is a consensus in the government that it will have to go up a lot. They've doubled it during the pandemic. I don't think it will stay at that rate. A few weeks ago, 
there was the thought that perhaps it might go up $10 a day, so about $70 more a week. But we do know the government's been under pressure, both sides of government, to do something with this for 20 years now. You've got the Business Council, you've got John Howard. A lot of more conservative voices are also calling for this to be permanently increased. Look, it's probably unsustainable for it to stay where it is at that $1,100 a fortnight payment. But you know, I think we can expect some sort of way to help people out. And even if that's in the form of extra subsidies for the people hardest hit by the pandemic. And what about JobKeeper? Is there any more sort of hints or whispers about where that's going to land when they announce it in a week and a half? Look, it looks like that is going to be a different sort of payment from September onwards, really targeted at those hardest hit areas. So if you're working in the tourism sector or in certain parts of, I guess, hospitality jobs that haven't been able to reopen, there will definitely be ongoing support for that industry. But if you've got a job at Bunnings or you've been actually getting more on this payment than before the pandemic, then no, I think uh, you won't expect to be getting anything after September. All right. And if you are doing it tough financially, you can get help. There's a National Debt Helpline. You can call 1800 007 007. That's 1800 007 007. Or there's a website, moneysmart.gov.au. Now, after decades of debate over whether or not their name is offensive, one of the NFL's biggest teams is changing its name. The Washington Redskins say they're going to drop their name and their logo, which features a Native American, in light of recent events around our country and feedback from our community. It hasn't yet decided what its new name will be. White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany says the president's not happy. He believes that um, the Native American community would be very angry at this, and he does have polling to back him up. There was a Washington Post poll um, from a few years ago that 90% of Native Americans say they're not offended uh, by the name. It, it is uh, reflective of a 2004 poll. And that comes after the Cleveland Indians have also said they're reviewing their name a week ago. So some interesting changes there. So, Annika, you did a bit of online shopping over the weekend. Tell us about it. Look, in my job, I do watch every press conference. So as soon as I heard last week that Victorians were told to go out and start wearing masks, even though I live in Canberra, I thought I should do the right thing. So did you go the medical disposable masks or have you gone for more of a a fashion item? I've actually gone both. I got some fashionable ones, jumped on the Instagram, got some funky colours. Also went to a chemist on the weekend and grabbed a handful of disposable masks. So I am ready for the second wave. It's been a big question, the face masks. You think it'll be simple, but it, it hasn't been. It's fair to say there's been a lot of mixed messages about wearing face masks here in Australia and overseas. At the position of the AHPPC has been and continues to be, we do not recommend mask use in the community. If people have symptoms, uh, they should wear a mask. WHO advises that governments should encourage the general public to wear masks. This is voluntary. I don't think I'm going to be doing it. can make a very simple mask at home and it does limit the risk of transmission of the virus. That message from Dan Andrews, the Victorian Premier, was the strongest advice so far and it's certainly what made me go out and buy some masks on the weekend. And in the last week, Donald Trump even wore a mask in public for the first time after refusing to do so for months. So how has the messaging changed and why was it so unclear in the first place? So I'm on the World Health Organization committee. Uh, it took us a number of weeks to go through um, studies that have been published. Then experts were tasked with doing a meta-analysis. Wearing a mask in public is uh, found to be protective. 
It certainly depends on the quality of the cotton face mask. The reason WHO didn't push for people to wear a medical mask in public is the supply of those medical masks were limited. That's Professor Mary Louise McLaws. She's an infection prevention expert at the University of New South Wales. She says that since their early advice, the WHO has done more analysis of the research on face masks and has now strengthened their advice. It's now time to say to the public that although face cloth masks don't provide the same level of uh, filtration safety as a medical mask does. It does provide a good level of safety, but it's now time to tell the public if they can't keep their social distancing on buses, trains and aeroplanes or in lifts going up high-rise office buildings, put your face mask on. So as you can hear there, the advice from the WHO has now become clearer and stronger. It's the same with the Victorian authorities and the American Centre for Disease Control. So how effective are face masks and what type of mask should you be using? Dr Karen Phelps is a well-known GP and former Member of Parliament and she joins us now. Karen, as a doctor, how frustrated have you been about the mixed messaging on face masks? It's been really frustrating listening to some of the messaging coming out of government and apparent authoritative sources saying that we don't need to be wearing masks, particularly in those areas where we've seen outbreaks and consistently we've just seen masks ignored. I'm very pleased to see that masks are now part of that conversation. What do you think the reason behind that decision was? Was it simply to make sure that we didn't run out for the people that needed them in hospitals? It's hard to say what the entire reason was that masks were being either overlooked or frankly just being people being told not to wear them. I've been being told by people in positions of some authority that masks made the situation worse, that you would be more likely to get COVID if you wore a mask. And and that just, you know, failed the common sense test, but it also is not what the evidence was telling us. And as evidence has grown through this pandemic, if as if we needed more evidence, mm. and, and it appears that for, for many that we did, uh, it, it's been quite apparent that masks are a very important part of the overall response to try to reduce the incidence of COVID transmission in our community. Now, we know that there are other measures that we need to take. We need to consider regular hand washing, physical distancing, but then there are places where you couldn't put in place physical distancing. There are places where it was impossible to avoid if somebody sneezed or coughed or or breathed in your vicinity that you couldn't be far enough away from them. And uh, and that would have included supermarkets. It would have included uh, public transport. It would have included elevators in, in office blocks and, and high-rise apartments, for example. But we weren't hearing those messages early on. And we're still not hearing those messages in a lot of places. Was that science watered down because of the supply issue? And couldn't they have said to us, look, yes, they're effective, but we're worried about supply rather than, oh, maybe they're effective and we're worried about supply? I think that would have been a more honest response to say, we're worried about PPE, about personal protective equipment supplies 
for people working in hospitals, for frontline healthcare workers, for people who are more than likely to be dealing with coronavirus patients or people that we know are going to be working face-to-face with coronavirus patients. So I, I definitely think there was that as an issue in the early days. I think one of the uh, other problems is that there's been an ideological battle uh, between the the people who are proponents of mask wearing and the people who are not, and it's yeah. not necessarily been on an evidence basis. Now that we have evidence which is you know pretty much irrefutable, that ideological basis seems to be filtering away, and I, I'm very pleased to hear that. But we do need to continue to hear nuanced messaging. Uh, about where and when and what types of masks to be wearing. So let's settle this now. Look, we are learning things about COVID-19 as the pandemic goes on. And there's been some recent research from Cambridge that actually says, yes, masks are good. They stop it spreading, especially, as you say, when combined with other safety practices. So what is the latest science about the effectiveness and when and where should we be wearing the masks? Well, I think the science has settled that if you uh, wear a mask, even a modestly effective mask, that you will get a reduction in viral transmission. And masks have this double benefit. It stops pe- people who are infected from spreading the virus and it protects uninfected people from catching it. And, of course, all along the question uh, we've been asking is, a, is about asymptomatic transmission. And, of course, you know, people... When we were hearing messages about, oh, just wear a mask if you have symptoms, well, obviously in a pandemic, if you've got symptoms, you shouldn't be going out. (laughs) But the second thing is that if you are a carrier and you are infectious, you may not know it. And we know about the the number of asymptomatic carriers is is very large with this virus, but it still remains very infectious. And some people are unfortunate enough that if they get the virus, they become extremely ill or could die. And that is the advantage of having more more widespread masking. The CDC, when it came on board and said that, you know, if you wear a cloth mask, uh, in public, that that is going to reduce transmission. That was a that was also a bit of a game changer. Of course, the World Health Organization was a little late to the party. They've come on board with that now too. Uh, I'm really pleased to see that the messaging from the Victorian um, health authorities and uh, and to, to a lesser extent the federal health authorities is now around wearing masks. The type of mask can vary. Uh, it depends on the material. Depends on the design. But generally speaking, we're looking at a a three or four layer mask with a water resistant outer layer. Uh, It has to have a fine weave and a high thread count. Uh, It should be washed and worn fresh each day. And also there should be um, an absorbent type of cloth in the inner layer. And some people will put in a pocket for a filter as well. The disposable surgical masks are effective. Um, they, They are helpful. But a cloth mask is one that can be made at home. There are a number of uh, designs now that are being published on the internet. There are groups uh, like Masks for Aussies that are helping people to come up with a very simple design for them to be able to make them at home. And and this addresses the, the affordability issue. It also addresses the environmental issue. Um, it should fit snugly around your face because uh, you, you don't want air to be flowing through the gaps on the sides. And, uh, and the, the, some people say that a nylon stocking over the top can, can help. And the inner layer needs to be cotton, something that will absorb uh, the, the moisture in your breath. And of course, it needs to be uh, washed and changed every day. Now, Karen, I'm one of these people that jumped online on the weekend and bought something of a fashionable 
fabric mask that, as you say, I can colour scheme with my outfits. But how long can I actually wear something like that versus a disposable one? And how, how careful do I have to be in taking that off? Well, you do need to be careful in taking it off, and, and that's where the instructions are important and uh, about sort of putting – if you have – it depends on the type of mask, of course. Some some of them are, are tied around the back and some of them have an ear loop uh, on either side around your ears. Um, if you have the ear loop version, uh, then then you – you're obviously, obviously during the day also not touch the front of the mask. But if you put your uh, fingers through the loops and you pull it out and away from you and then dispose of it or wash it, then that's the ideal. Uh, and But if, if you have it wrapped or tied around the back of the head, then you touch the ties and then wash, dispose of the mask and then wash your hands. And if I was doing a commute to work, would I need one for the morning commute and one for the afternoon commute? Or are you safe to wear something like that all day and wash it at the end of the day? I think for practical purposes, if you're going to be leaving it on all day, but then you have to have time to eat and drink as well. So uh, I think if you have one for the times of the day where you're most likely to be interacting with people at close quarters, then ideally you would have one for the commute to work and one for the commute home. But then, of course, it would depend on whether you're going to be interfacing with people at work as well. We are learning about all of this as we go along. And we're, you know, a lot of people are working enormously long hours to try and make sure that we do have contact tracing, that we have as many safety measures as we possibly can in the community but we really have to be looking at what, you know, to, to be doing everything we can to reduce the transmission of this virus and to avoid the kind of outbreak that we've seen in Victoria. And if adding masks to that armamentarium is something that can actually reduce the incidence of the transmission of this virus, uh, but, but we all have to do whatever we can and we have to take it seriously. Karen, do you think we should be wearing them in hotspots only like... Melbourne or, or maybe Kashula in Sydney? Or do you think we should be wearing them everywhere in Sydney, Perth, Brisbane, cities that don't have big case numbers? Well, I think in those areas where you are likely to encounter people at close quarters, uh, like public transport or in the more densely populated urban centres, I think there is a case for wearing a mask in public. In terms of uh, everybody everywhere in every setting, uh, I don't think that's necessary, but I think, you know, we need to apply evidence and common sense. And uh, and certainly in those more densely populated urban areas where you have uh, unknown levels of community incidents, we do need to consider masks in, in certain settings. That was Dr. Karen Phelps there helping us out with how to use masks and when to be wearing them. So, look, it sounds like, Tom, it's not the saviour we need on its own, but that masks can be really effective if used with other safety messages like keeping away from people, washing your hands and stuff like that. Yeah, and Annika, you've sent me through some pictures of the face masks that you ordered over the weekend. You ordered five of them, some really, really good colours here. Is that going to fit with the rest of your wardrobe? <laughs> I can hook you up if you want. Look, I don't know how it's going to work work for most of my job, which involves a lot of talking. But I think for being out and about, commuting to work, doing the groceries, they'll look pretty fashionable. Tomorrow on The Briefing, trying to get home from overseas. The government put caps on the numbers of people allowed to come into the country each week. Plus, you have to pay for your own hotel quarantine. We'll find out how that's affecting people who want to come home. A Podcast One production.